Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Navy Federal Credit Union's cash rewards card helps you slay this season. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up to ignite the legend inside of you and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're gonna show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. We have gotten up to 90,000 YouTube subscribers. So if you haven't already, we'd like to hit that 100,000 mark. So make sure you follow us on YouTube, Team Never Quit podcast. And we've got something really cool coming for our Patreon members really soon. We've got a whole new, brand new community experience coming. Make sure you follow us on social media so you can stay up to date with all we have going on. And Patreon question of the day, what is something you consider yourself really good at? And what is something you consider yourself really bad at? Being a parent. Good or bad? Both. Both. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it has to be the same thing? No, it can be different. (laughs) Mine, I'm really good at gardening. I'm really bad at math. Um, geez, Marcus, I think you stole mine. The parenting one is fantastic. You know, right. there's like every day, like you feel like, man, I have a little win with my kids and you're like, and then they say, what happened? Like, <laughs> why did I do that? What like, happened? This morning, like I said something to my son and he got a little upset. My wife was like, it was the tone. I'm like, oh, failure always is a father. The tone. You know? <laughs> it's yes. always the tone. Yeah, I think I think parenting, you know, most definitely. I'd also say jujitsu. My relationship with jujitsu. Some days I feel like I'm good. That's the same thing. Yeah, I mean that's same philosophy. I you do good on the mat one day, roll roll in next day, get get twisted up. I mean, no that's, that's like, like that's like baseball and everything. Which, by the way, go Astros, go Astros. You see go that? Astros. Like yesterday, Woo! we were trick or treating, man, and it was that four zero. We, we didn't get to see the first part of the game. Everybody was down. I was like, man, have some faith. I said that. I called it. You did. What's up? And they did it. They did it. I need you to do that for yeah, the I'm next Yeah, I'm hoping two. by the time this airs, we're still saying go Astros. That was pretty wild last night. I uh, will always say it. We went, to, uh, <laughs> we went to the World Series game on Wednesday night. Oh, and it nice. Was so awesome. We were with the Rally Nuns. Yep. The Rally Nuns? Yeah, yep. the Rally Nuns. Mattress Mac. Mattress Mac broke out the nuns yeah, for it. Gallery so we... Furniture. It's <laughs> a little gallery furniture plug. Yep. 6,605 West between Tidwell and Parker. <laughs> we saved you, saved you some money. Gallery Furniture uh, was extremely gracious to us and gave us tickets for like our whole family. It was really awesome. And Marcus and I got to meet the Rally Nuns, and it was just... It was fun. We won. It was awesome. 
That's fantastic. Yeah. It was. Yeah, they'll be there tomorrow night. Good. Yep. Great question. Great. One. Great answer too. We've got a great guest in store today. Dr. Eric Corum is an expert in sleep and stress resilience, and he's the founder and CEO of AIM7. He has worked with the National Football League, Power 5 NCAA programs, gold medal Olympians, Nike, and the U.S. Department of Defense. Welcome to the show, Dr. Eric. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to hear all about the sleep study because <laughs> I, 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 I think that you can forget how to sleep. I, I do. I mean, I think you can out train, you can train yourself and your mind into a position to when you're always working. And you're, if you're dreaming about what you're working about, then you're never really sleeping. And I think you mm. can forget how to do that. So I, I'm interested in hearing before we get into that, man, what does back this whole thing up man? tell us about yourself and how, how you got started, like where you came from. Yeah. I'm from Dallas, Texas, originally, um, Texas, homegrown there, there you go. Good and, job. um, got some awesome parents, two siblings, brother and a sister, and, um, yeah, I, my story of kind of getting into human performance came out of just, I guess, pain, um, as a kid, you know, I was really overweight and, um, it was not much I could do about it as a young kid and, um, kids can be cruel, you know? So there was a lot of bullying, a lot of stuff like that going on. And, um, I just wanted to change myself. And uh, I, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember John Jacobs in the power team? Oh, I don't know if of you course. Yes. Absolutely. 100%. I remember them. You're talking yeah, about the travel so around on the stages watching, and bent the bars and blew up the. the yes. Bunk, of course. I do. Absolutely. Tearing phone books. All that yeah, kind they of were stuff. great. So, yeah. If, you, if you're a child of the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. So, oh, yeah. I was watching that on TV with my dad. I was like third grade. And, um, do you remember the old president's physical fitness test where they like, you go run a mile, yep. you do certain sit-ups, right? Well, I was always last in that mile run. And, uh, it was humiliating for me because if you didn't do it, then make the time then you had to do it again. And so other kids would go to recess and they would pull me out. And I remember, I actually remember the other kid's name and we would have to run it again. And this went on for, you know, for a couple of years and so I'm watching this thing and John Jacobs is talking about like how when he was a kid, he was overweight and he was always last. And uh, he decided one day, like, I'm not going to be last anymore. And so I just looked at my dad. I was like, that's it. I'm never going to be last again, dad. And uh, I wasn't, you know, and so it was kind of one of those things like you never really know the power of the impact you can have on somebody's life and watching him. And, and so that really got me obsessed with this whole idea of like improving myself. And I found football when I was in sixth grade. And that was like really when I could use my big man athleticism and, you know, put a hurting on somebody. And, but the bullying continued, man, like it was, it was rough. And uh, in junior high, I just started like mowing lawns so I could buy books on training uh, I paid for speed camps. Like I would do whatever it took. And I trained myself into a pretty decent athlete. And uh, uh, you know how football is here in Texas and 5A football. It's a big deal. And um, I earned myself some FCS scholarships, but I got an opportunity to walk on at Texas a and to play football. And uh, that's that was kind of like, you know, a really great opportunity. But I saw this gap between me and everybody else. You know, when you're not on scholarship, and you're playing with dudes that, are, you know, we had like nine guys in the surrounding classes that went to the NFL. And I saw this gap 
And I was just obsessed, like, how do I close this gap? I mean, there's only so much I can do genetically, but we had this physiology lab attached to our weight room. And so I was a pre-med major and my strength coach, Mike Clark, who's been a mentor of mine, he was like, Eric, there's a science to this. Like, there's a real science if you're interested. And I'd switched my major and went all in. But I'll tell you what, during that time, during those four years, like I learned some really valuable lessons. Like I learned how to take a beating, um, you know, and like get up and just do it again and get up and do it again without really any carrot on the stick. Um, I think it was my junior year. We actually had a spring football game and somebody got hurt. So I was on the second string and, you know, it's like mixed teams. And I went up against Ty Warren the whole game. who was a ninth pick, I believe in the draft played a lot of years in the NFL and I graded out like 80 plus percent, which is really good. So my offensive line coach was like, Hey, Eric, um, you know, we're, you know, we debrief and he's like, you did amazing. He goes, I don't even know how you did that well, but he's like, you're not going to play next year. And it was kind of one of these things where it was just like, you know, you have a choice, like you can either like quit or you can just keep at it and um, kept going. I ended up earning a spot my senior year on the travel roster and playing. But um, it was like one of those things, like I learned how to suffer and how to suffer well. Cause I mean, physically you're getting beat up by guys and you just got to go out there and do it and do it. So after that, it's kind of the same I thing when on. we're going, when you're in school getting bullied too. What, what, what is that? 100%. You know what I'm talking about? Like, Cause when we're growing up and you're small, you can either be the fat kid growing up, or you can be the skinny kid or the kid with a funky yeah. face or there's something always wrong with you. And I think mm-hmm. that's what everybody's, that's what happens with kids. They point that out. But, you know, the same stressor pushes you into a, uh, into a realm to where you're getting your ass kicked anyways. But, you know, you're making yes. progress. Like, you're choosing to – I guess it's the choice. Is yes. that the separation? I mean, the, the bowling was like, you know, I'd show up at the bus stop. I'll never forget this, like, seventh grade. And this dude, like, taps on my shoulder, turn around, and like, wham, and you're out. Yeah. And it's like, I can't even – you can't even fight what you don't see coming. Right. Um, but you just learn to just – like you have a choice to make. I'm either going to go push through this or I'm not. And, you know, one of the valuable lessons I learned, a good friend of mine, Dr. Peter Haberl, he's a senior sports psychologist, the USOC. And he talks about how attention is the currency of performance. Yeah. And like, you can, like you, what you give your attention to is how how you're going to perform. So you can, I can pay attention to how much this sucks or I can pay attention to what can I do about it? My technique, the training, the focus. And that's what kind of got me through this. I didn't realize it till years later when he told me this, I'm like, ah, like that's what I was doing. I just didn't know. You know what I'm saying? Oh, sure. Cause there's a difference between looking at something, watching it and, and seeing it. Th- those mm-hmm. are all different. That same with listening and hearing and actually paying attention to something. Th- those are all different. In the sports, like when on the sideline, I, I coach the athletes too. Like, hey man, you guys watching the game? And when you say watching, like, which guys are tired then? Which guys aren't? Which guys are moving fast? That's watching it, like actually seeing the pattern and studying it, what's going down with it, as opposed to seeing it, you know, out of the corner of your eye or just catching, like, catch your gaze, looking, no seeing, question. and watching. And and with with youth, I mean, there now situations can teach youth that. Like you, your environment can teach that. If, if you don't grow up in an environment where you don't have to apply that skill set, you won't have it. You know, I mean, and coaches come in, and that's why they put you in that hard environment to open up that instinct. Because the more civilized we get, we kind of breed that out of ourselves. But in the, in the line of work that we were in, like that punch that comes over when someone taps you on your shoulder. Now we know 
before we even go in there, you've already assessed who's doing what, what they look like, how they walk. You know, you can mm. feel their attitudes. And um, th- there's something, to, you know, the spidey sense, the sick, that sixth sense, that, that tingle, the hair on the back of your neck, all that stuff. Yeah. That's real. I mean, that, that's real. That was the one thing they taught us in the program that I went through is how to study that and harness that. Hmm. And I think elite athletes, it's the same way. I mean, Absolutely. there's a myth. And I think, tell me if you'd agree with this or not, but there's a myth out there that people think that the best in the world don't feel stress. Oh, uh-huh. they feel it worse. Yeah. Right. It's funny because you were talking about you were the walk on. Well, the guys that I talked to that have the scholarships, they, everyone has a stress. Yeah. It's either the stress of holding it or wanting it. I love or that. not knowing you're good enough. You, you know what I'm talking about? It's like when you're yeah. walking into the arena or the or, or walking down there into the fight. Every he's like, man, that guy. Look, he's probably not even nervous. Yeah, of course he is, man. Right? <laughs> it's just yeah. how to, it's uh, it's the difference between knowing that in the beginning it's a fear and afterwards it's anxiousness because you you've trained in it and those run off the same gland, right? So it it, it feels the same. It's an energy that you can really can't control in the beginning unless you have somebody helping you. Yeah, it's either facilitating or it's debilitating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. So, yeah. So I there's a guy named Sir Chris Hoy. He was the greatest Olympic cyclist of all time, eight-time Olympic gold medalist in from the UK. And he said he was like one of those indoor cyclists, yeah. you know, like the, yeah, yeah. Speed the, the, the wood. The and he said, um, the what it felt like to race in the Olympic finals, he said it felt like he was going to the gallows. Oh wow. Like he felt like he was gonna freaking get executed. Right, yeah, yeah. Of course. So much pressure, but he, what he did was, is he said, like, I would grip my steering wheel where I would feel the clips of my shoes in the pedals. So, like, he knew he was feeling this terrible sensation, but he shifted his attention to something he could control. Right. And I think you could, I don't know if you agree or not, but like, you're going to feel, you, you should, like, before I came on here, man, like, you should expect to feel excited and jacked up. Right. Or you're going to go stand on stage and do public speaking. It's okay. Accept those feelings, but then shift your attention to what you can control. The first line of what you're going to say, or would you agree with that? Or disagree? absolutely, no, one hundred percent. It's almost if. And what do you think about this? Is is remember when you were trying to make the team, or I was trying to go become the and you had that feeling, and then after you don't really know when you when it happens. I mean, you get your pen. You get your trident, you get your jersey, and it's like, okay, well, it's the justification. I was like, well, the day before I, I didn't have it, but I was one. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's like, okay, so when does that actually transition? And the mm. mindset, this is what really I was focusing on is the fact that once once I was a SEAL and you look at the young guys coming up, they're like, oh, it's so hard and whatnot. And you're like, oh, it's hard about it. It's like the attitude of thinking that you're already on the team and you're just out there going through the drills, it alleviates that stress. It's like, I just came here to practice. I didn't come here to make the team. I'm, I kind of am already on it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be out here. Mm. Right, and, it, and it's like you take those little rewards with yourself. If you if you made it to the field, well then, boom, you're in there. Get rid of that whole idea that you weren't good enough. Like you, mm-hmm. you are good enough. You're here. So then, just like that shot out of our gun, when it's gone, boom, can't get it back. That whole thing just kind of keep pushing forward. And our, our training was set up that every day was so bad that you didn't want to carry it with you into the next day. <laughs> That's why I was saying the only easy day was yesterday because it was so miserable. Yeah. It, no matter what, what anybody said, if anybody was in an argument, everybody always woke up in a good mood. We're like, we don't care what happened yesterday, man. We got today. Mm. And that, that in itself allowed us just to focus on the, the, the task at hand. Everybody thinks like, man, you know, to climb any mountain, to get anything done, the big picture is always horrible. But if you take the, I was like, I right, know, just take those tiny steps up the whole thing. It's nothing. No question. 
No question. So where were we? Oh yeah. So how did I get into this field of human performance? <laughs> uh, after that, I went to Arkansas. So that that's a, I don't know if you've been up there. Beautiful. Area. Oh man. Yeah. My, my kinfolk are from up there. Oh, it's beautiful. And I, I was very fortunate. Uh, one day this coach walked in, he's like, Hey, so I was working as a graduate assistant strength coach studying physiology for my master's. This guy's like, Hey, do you want to train these sprinters? And it was uh, Veronica Campbell Brown. She's the eight time Olympic medalist, Tyson Gate, blah, blah, blah. So I had this opportunity for about 14 years while I was coaching in college in the NFL to, to work with some of the best sprinters in the world. And um, a lot of these Jamaican sprinters. And something that happened was um, I started getting the opportunity to travel around the world and see how other people were training their athletes. And I realized something that here in the U.S., we had a fundamental problem. And that problem was we had too many good athletes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Explain that. What do you think that caused? Because it should, too many good athletes should perpetuate us into a forward cycle, right? But it can, it, it can have an adverse effect, right? Yeah. So, like, we weren't, so, like, if, you, if you're in Saudi Arabia, you got all this oil sitting under your feet. Are you looking for other natural uh, resources for energy? No, you're just going to keep tapping what's below your feet. So you don't have innovation. Well, overseas or especially like Australia, a country, huge landmass, small population, uh, they don't have tons of athletes. And so like in 1976, they were ranked, I think, 32nd in the world in the Olympics. Uh, they only won five medals in the Olympic Games and they were embarrassed. So they came back and they were like, all right, now this is kind of still during kind of the Cold War. And so U.S., Russia, you know, the, the, the Olympic Games was more than just winning medals. It was, it was like political warfare. Yeah. And Australia was like pissed off and they're like, okay, what are we going to do about this? Like, we're going to create these institutes of sport and we're going to bring together our best scientists and researchers and we're going to develop our athletes as a holistic model. And from 76 to the 2000 games, they developed the Australian Institute of Sport and they developed their athletes to the highest level. And they end up going from you know, having five medals to winning 58 medals and finishing in the top three. Not a huge change in population. They just trained them and developed them better. And so I started realizing here in the U.S., you know, and a good athlete gets hurt. Guess what? You just like go to Houston, Texas or Dallas or Dade County, Florida, and you can find another one. So in these countries where athletes are precious resources, like they were emptying the tank to try to develop them. So I was like, okay, what if we could adapt some of their processes and their methodologies and apply them to our athletes? And so um, in 2010, I was at Florida State with Jimbo Fisher. He was the brand new head coach there. Oh, yeah. You know Jimbo. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Great and, man. Uh, just take, go ahead. Oh, uh, yep. Great man. Oh, yeah. So just taking over for Bobby Bowden, tons of pressure, as you can imagine. You know, he's a legend. And uh, after my first year, I got promoted to director of football operations, which is like the general manager, I guess. And I'm like, 
I mean, this totally different world for me. I was like, coach, I'll do it. Would you name me director of sports science? He's like, yeah, you can call yourself whatever you want. He didn't know what I wanted to do. That role didn't exist. Right. So I went to Australia for a month and embedded myself with an Australian rules football team and learned about athlete tracking technologies and what's called high performance training, which is the synchronization of all these different disciplines of the physical, psychological, technical, and tactical. And you got like biomechanics and physiology, all of it coming together. And I brought back athlete tracking technology. So I literally had these 12 tracking units and I hired a former NASA propulsion engineer and we were duct taping these little units to our players' pads and we were connected to GPS satellites, accelerometers. So for the first time ever, we quantified the game of football. Nobody had ever done it before. And then we reverse engineered the game and we looked at what we were doing wrong to see what we can improve. So we realized, Marcus, this is like pretty commonsensical, but like, an offensive lineman may only sprint like 50 yards in a whole game. Yeah. And that's usually from getting on the field and getting off the field. Right. Where a receiver is going to be sprinting a thousand plus yards of high speed distance, but we were training everybody exactly the same. Makes no sense. And, and then the number two, we were wearing our players out. We were playing like three to four games before we got to Saturday and guys were just tanked. They had nothing left. Yeah. So I remember when you when you brought that back. I I I remember I was kind of meandering around that. It's right when I got back hmm. when the, when those when those chips came, first came online. Y'all started tracking that. I remember talking to yeah. Benny um, when at A and M, and then uh, when he was up at Tech, uh, Tech, and then uh, at, UT. at UT as well. UT, but uh, yeah. that's amazing how that's all changed. And oh I remember gosh. them talking about that too. Like you can track every motion when they're out there, like how many steps they take, who's performing, who's not. Yeah. I mean, you can track, here's where it gets a little tricky. I'll finish the story and I'll tell you kind of the, the problem with it. And I think you'll agree. Coach Fisher was really sharp and was like, listen, let's, let's fix the big stuff. We're not going to change our identity, but let's fix the big thing. So we changed the way that we trained. We changed the way that we practice as far as like regulating guys. And how hard we'd work and building up during training camp. We had an 88% reduction in injury that year, won a championship, went from underperforming and injured. We had great coaches and great players. They were just, we kind of got out of their way. And um, it literally opened a billion dollar market in the US. The NFL flew in. They're like, what are you guys doing? And that's where like next gen stats and all that kind of stuff started proliferating out of. Because the NFL went and adopted it, and it just spread everywhere. So Benny at Texas, yeah. well, man, Alabama. I, yeah. I'm, I can still go to athletes, Exos Athletes Performance Town in Florida every year yeah. to do my physical therapy, and I run. Uh, Marcus all, goes all. at the same time as the combine kids are there, so he gets to. He gets <laughs> do you go to, run forties against. Them? <laughs> he gets wow. to give them some <laughs> life lessons. Not get ahead of ourselves. I mean, walk it while uh, it's not yelling. It's motivating. So I'm more of the mental coach now, and then, but they they oh. inspire me. So there's a program down there where a lot of the SF guys are busted up. Yeah, down there healing up, and then you have the the combine kids. And they're there at the same they're time. They're at the same time. And they put this big table mm. in the middle of the, uh, the area. So we all kind of have a common area. And then we work out together. And it's just, uh, man, it's a lot. I've been Gulf doing Breeze, it. right? Yeah. 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 So Bob Calvin, do you know Bob? Oh, yeah. We love Bob. Love that guy, man. 
That's Snacks. my boy. Snacks. <laughs> <laughs> we love. He does Bob. some crazy stuff, man. He, he does, man. Like huge handfuls of green vegetables and shoving them in his yeah, mouth. Yeah, man, and he's stuff. great. He, he got left. me back on track. Yeah, he left. Yeah, he's yeah. not there anymore. But um, Anthony's still there. They've rotated out. I've been over fourteen years now. I've been going there, but um, Marcus goes every year in like January, February. And um, that's a great crew, man. That the whole I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, man, but it's a no. small world. Yeah, small world. No, that's kind of crazy. But yeah, like I would say this, like, so it, it really changed. Like now we have people who are like uh, aware of like Fitbits and all that kind of stuff and Apple watches and rings. This was like the first time somebody ever put a Fitbit on an athlete. Yeah. But the problem you said about performance is you can look at the data, but the data doesn't tell the whole story. Well, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't ex- extenuate circumstances. It can get you in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, you're, you're right. Like the outside influences, ambient, everything else, it doesn't. It can't tell you what's going on and why the, that data showed up the way it did. Yeah, or just because you ran really fast didn't mean you played right. You could be running in the wrong direction, <laughs> which is not good. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. That's huge, though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, putting data on on the on the, on the table and it's just like everyone interpreted differently. Yes. And that's the problem now with the wearable devices that people are wearing is they got all this data and they're like, well, what do I do with it? Like, you know, this whole standard of walking 10,000 steps a day. Yeah. It's a complete lie. It came from a 1960s marketing campaign from Japan from a pedometer called the 10,000 steps meter. There's like not a shred of scientific literature to support it. As a matter of fact, like, the the drop off point for health is seven to eight thousand steps. So like after that, it's kind of you know you can see some improvement, but like ten thousand. It's like you know like so what if I sleep seven hours? Like what is that going to do for me? And that's where the next level of okay, we got all this data now that people can wear on their wrists and rings and stuff, but we got to turn it into like habits and actionable recommendations for people. Sure, yeah, what to do with it? No question. Cause, yeah, because a lot of people have the data and that stresses them out in themselves. Absolutely. You get paralyzed by paralyzed it. Paralyzed by it. Yeah, you don't know what to do with it. So what did so, you do um, with it? You want to talk about sleep? Yeah, I want to hear about it. Yeah, so after Kentucky, I went to, I mean, after Florida State, I went to Kentucky and I got a doctoral degree there. And I was like, you know what? Like, if I'm going to get a doctoral degree, I want to study about something that's important. So it was like, okay, there's three things you can't live without, like water, food, and sleep. So I was like, Good I want thinking. to learn more about Rest sleep. that down, man. Like, hey, you want a job? Get into something you're always going to need. Yeah, no question. So working with athletes, I wanted to understand how sleep impacted our ability to adapt to stress. Because we have a, like, stress isn't a bad thing. Stress is actually the gateway to improvement. Chronic long-term stress can be a really bad thing if you can't get it under control, but like acute stress from a training, from a difficult work situation, that is the actual, that's what you need to approve and adapt. And so I wanted to see like, okay, how does sleep impact our ability to do that? And there's three things that I really kind of came away with, like like the sleep does for us that kind of blew my mind. Number one, uh, when you sleep at night, your brain literally detoxifies itself. So there's a system in the brain we found called the glymphatic system. 
uh, like you have the lymphatic system in your body. Yep, check. The glymphatic system, when you go to bed, literally flushes out metabolic waste products and these proteins that are associated with like Alzheimer's disease and dementia. And this is like a new discovery in the past 10 years. So if you don't get enough sleep, your brain is literally full of crap. Um, the second thing is, is when you sleep, you get these big pulses, especially in slow wave, deep sleep of growth hormone. Now growth hormone is important for tissue regeneration. And so when you don't get enough sleep, actually a couple of things happen. Like, you know, sleep is broken into these like 90 to 120 minute phases of non-REM sleep and REM sleep. And the non-REM sleep is where phases three and four is where this deep sleep occurs. And early in the night, your body has this pressure for deep sleep because it wants to get that growth hormone spike because it wants to regenerate the tissues. It makes kind of common sense. Oh. The REM sleep, you get more and more of it as the night goes on. And during REM sleep uh, really helps with uh, processing of emotional issues. You learn It helps with certain types of learning and memory consolidation. You also have bigger spikes in testosterone later in the night. Uh, but also during REM sleep, your body's in a state of paralysis. Did you know this? Like literally everything is shut down. And there's two theories for this. Number one is that when your tissues or muscle tissues are in complete state of paralysis, you can actually heal better. Sure. The other thing is you ever had a crazy dream at night? Yeah. Like you're jumping off a building or you're flying or sure. something? Yeah, of course. Imagine if you weren't paralyzed. Oh, oh yeah, I understand. Because that probably happens to some people. That's why they do that, right? Yeah, they get up and run around, run around and stuff. Yeah. So your body kind of shuts itself down. Is it like and I mean, the third? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, and the third thing that happens when you sleep is um, learning and memory consolidation. And so, when you train something during the day, or you try to learn something very difficult, um, your brain actually, you know, it's like agitating. Like you get kind of angry and upset, like you're sitting down to study and you're like, oh, this sucks. Because yeah. you get this huge increase in um, adrenaline, essentially. And then there's this neuromodulator that's released that tags the neurons in your brain that are being used to learn something to say, hey, strengthen these later at night. And then when you sleep, those connections in your brain are actually, those neuronal connections are strengthened and enlarged. And the ones that aren't frequently used shrink. So you actually have this expanding and contracting of the brain. And so if you don't deliberately kind of going back to that stress, if you don't deliberately engage in something difficult to push yourself hard, you're not opening the window to adapt. But then when you sleep later at night, that's when all of it is cemented. So you got to have stress and specific stress, and then you need sleep. So that it can be cemented, you can actually learn the thing. Same as when you go, when you go into the. I'm sorry, baby. You want to say something? Well, I, I'm just curious. So, stress as far as like really focusing on something and trying to learn something new. Hmm. Yeah. So like, stre Yeah, stress in any type. But like, let's say for for cognitive standpoint, like when you want to learn something new. You want to bring your focus, complete focus, to that thing. Mm -hmm. It could be a physical skill. It could be learning a new difficult text, learning a new language, whatever it is at work. Like, hey, you got to upskill yourself. 
you got to eliminate distraction and bring focus to the situations. Like, like I'm, I think of it like a spotlight. You want to bring all of your focus to that thing. And there's going to be a sense of agitation and that's good. The adrenaline goes up, then this neuromodulators release tags those things. So the gateway to it is acute stress. And then it's cemented when you sleep. Does that help? Yeah. How long, what do you think is the ultimate number of hours to sleep every night? Great question. Um, so my research, like I said, was on how much stress sleep you need to adapt to stress. We found the national sleep foundation says seven to nine hours for adults. Okay. Now there's a lot of people like, Oh man, I'm really good with four every night. Um, I'm telling you right now that, um, Oh, that polymorphism, that genetic mutation, most people don't have. Now you may have experienced some things in your life that have gotten you to that place, but seven to nine hours is what we found. We actually could measure this voltage in the brain uh, called direct current potential. And we found that the highest voltage ranges were between when people got seven to nine hours, these athletes. So research shows that below seven hours, it does a lot of really bad stuff to you, increases risk of heart disease, diabetes, your insulin and blood sugar gets all whacked out. Um, your mental focus, your agitation goes up, but also on the other end, you sleep too much and you're lazy. You're going to also have the same problems. I'm like so a 10 hour. Seven to nine hours of real sleep is good. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I like the 10 hour planned, <laughs> <laughs> but I go to bed early. I don't sleep late. I just like to yeah. go to, I like to get in bed early. <laughs> well, it's almost as if it's like going into the gym. So if you, if you go into the gym and you say you're on the bench and you're, and you're, you're benching, yep. if you walk out of, of the gym carrying that barbell and you lay down in bed with it and you wake up with it in the middle of the night, you take it to the bedroom. I mean, it's, you're always working out. It's the same yes. thing with the mind. Like as soon as you sit up, you, I mean, you got, sometimes you got to break those down and shift and go into something different. Mm -hmm. Also, situation dic dictates sleep and the amount that you need because, I mean, mm -hmm. the body changes. It, it, it morphs. So you've obviously perfected this on a very professional level for professional sports and all of that. But you also have kids, obviously, or a son. How did yeah. you like what do you <laughs> do you relate that to him and his schoolwork, like to focus yeah. on something super hard and then his mind's going to, you know, he might be frustrated with it and slam the book down. <laughs> I'm dealing with that right now with ours and yeah. math. Um, it's just such a great question. I have three boys. Okay. Um, a, a nine and a five and a one, and I have a fantastic wife. So we tag team, but she does a lot of the heavy lifting on this. Um, the thing I try to get them focused on right now, because I can control sleep, like, hey, when they go to bed, right? And as long as we create the right environment, they'll sleep well. I try to get my kids comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so I don't praise grades. I praise their effort. And so like, I want them to, to get, I don't want to use the word addicted, but I want them to get um, satisfaction from trying something hard. So one of our kids is struggling with math right now. He's like a builder, an artist, like he loves to engineer stuff. Right. But the math, for some reason, it's just not clicking. And he gets frustrated with that. And we're like, listen, I don't care about the grade. We're going to take some time. We're going to get really focused on this. And I just want you to give it your best effort. And when he gives it his best effort, like we praise that. And that's like that growth mindset, you know, like developing that resilience that 
I can do tough stuff. Um, and so that's what I do with my kids is like try to create these windows of opportunity where they can go through something difficult. Do you guys do that too? Oh, well, math is like squats. Nobody wants to do it. Everybody hates <laughs> yeah. it. Right? But math is it, so different now. When we were kids, we we memorized math facts. How you teach it is different. And, and my now, point with that is there's a trick to everything in math. And I was teaching our son and his nines. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and up to a point, even when I was an adult, when someone asked me, like, hey, what's nine plus six? Nine plus seven. I'd be like, nine, six. Because that's how I was taught. I had to, I had to wait yeah. for a second. But then someone told me, it's like, okay, with anything with a nine. So if it's nine plus seven, what's, what's under seven? Six. So just put a one in front of it, 16. Nine and five, what's underneath that? Four, 14. Nine and three, 12. Nine, so it's, it's just a one under, it's a number underneath it in teens. And I sat back. I was like, wait a minute, is there a trick to it? And they're like, yeah, there's a trick to all of it. There's literally a trick to all of it. But and, if you to, memorize the math facts, you don't have to do any of that. But, that's my point. Yeah, exactly. But nowadays, they have you break everything down, and they want 20 different ways of how, how and why you got that answer. And I feel like there's so much wasting of time, and it's frustrating the kids, especially the kids with the builder brains and the, the artist brains, because... Who the F cares? Well, and there also used to be, there's two kinds of learning. I mean, there's the kids that can just get that. Like, I, I don't know why there's the kids that sit in the back of the class. They just understand it. And then they used to have in, in school, like the, the applied, uh, applied sciences, like the, the yes. guys who can build, like give them the things, let them go build it. And then they'll figure out how to measure it themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, the numbers are already in there. And so when you try and tell it to them, I think whoever's teaching it to them is confusing them because... I've seen that. It's like there's some things when, you, when I was a kid, no matter how hard I tried, I could not get it done. There's a joke. It's like, God made me bad at math because he knew I'd be too powerful. So when, in the beginning, <laughs> I, I was like, the one thing I got good enough at it to, to get through it. But then now, when I look at it, I see it completely different. Not only do I understand it, I, I really understand it, how it works. And I can't get enough of it. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what's frustrating, too, is when I don't know the answer. Yeah. He brings you a problem and it's like, no, our teacher wants us to do it this way. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, like, I don't know how to do it that way. I don't know how to do it this way, but. I'm literally you know, the mom sending the the teacher an email saying, I never learned this. <laughs> and this is where I'm at today. No. <laughs> I'm okay. No, no, no. Could you meet me where I'm at? <laughs> Bro, hey, Melly and I had the best one. Like, it was a paper. It was like they, they read a book and had, had, had to write it out or something, a story. And I just had come home from work, and, and I was like, hey, you know, dad, dad's a writer, and blah, 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 that, and the other. And I was like, let me see it, son. Yeah. I was like, this is what you say. Turn this in. It'll be fine. Uh, it was a language paper. Yeah, language yeah. paper. Mm-hmm. Give us back. You got a four on it. Yeah. A four. Oh, four. <laughs> I made a four. I'm a, and that's, I said it out loud. I was like, I Is this a, four out of 100? I'm yeah, a New York yeah. Times writing, best-selling, <laughs> best-selling author, number one. <laughs> you got I just got a four on a language paper for a fourth grader. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't even fourth grade. It's like third. Yeah, it was. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I laughed so hard. We're really like, bad I, I, teachers. So that's why the, the whole question about being a parent is probably the one thing I'm good well, at. And bad that's at. why I'm curious with your and I know a lot of our listeners um, would be curious about um, how you translate as a parent, how you translate your the stress to mm-hmm. in sleep to your kids. Like, do you make yeah, the first thing is, is cultivating of- that mindset of we do hard things. You know, we all do jujitsu as a family. My wife's a my, we're actually competing in jujitsu worlds here at Masters Worlds in two two weeks. Oh, how cool! But my wife is the nice work, the man. leader, huh? Yeah, I said nice work. 
oh, well, we got to step on the mats and get it done. But, you know, the first battle is getting out there, making weigh That's my point. But, uh, That's the hardest part. Yeah. Um, but we do it as a family, you know? And so, like, and the great thing about jujitsu is, like, you, it's body to body, figuring it out, trying hard things. Um, as far as sleep is concerned, number one tip I could give to parents out there is the your sleep, your ability to get a great night of sleep starts with the first thing you do in the morning. And that is um, our relationship to the sun dictates how we're going to be able to fall asleep at night. What I mean by that is there's something called a circadian clock. And circadian clock is like basically it means this about 24-hour rhythm. Really, yeah. And um, there's also these ultradian rhythms, which is how we sleep at night in these 90-minute cycles. But our body, uh, we've realized in the recent past 10, 15 years that um, – our circadian clock is anchored on sun. Okay. And so um, there's these special cells in your eyes called the melanopsin retinal ganglion cells. And what they do is, is they take in sunlight early in the day, a special quality of sunlight. And there's this thing that sits up on the top of your roof of your mouth and it's called the circadian pacemaker. It's called the SCN and it sends a signal. So light goes into your eyes sends a signal to this pacemaker, and then it sends a signal to every cell in your body that it's time to wake up. And it does that through temperature and a big spike in something called cortisol, which is good. It's going to make you feel alert and awake. It also does something else. sets off a timer in your brain to 12 to 16 hours later to increase melatonin, the sleepy hormone. So what we do is you need about 10. If it's a really bright morning like today in Texas was great, you need about 10, 15 minutes of sunlight to anchor your clock. And you need to get it done before 9 a.m. After that, you're kind of this circadian dead zone. But we get our kids outside in the morning. We'll go outside with them. And we'll hang out on the porch and we'll just take in the sunlight. Maybe we'll eat. Maybe we'll chat. And it's one of the I have people that have sent me messages and like, hey, we started doing this for our kids and they wake up more alert in the morning and they're falling asleep better at night. So. Just getting that sunlight, it is the most important thing that you can do. And you got to think about, we're stuck inside all day. We were not designed to live indoors. And it's and dark so when we wake up. And so our circadian clocks are out yeah. of whack. Go ahead. It's dark when we wake up. I mean, for school, I mean, for here, I mean, the classes start so early that it's dark when the kids are going to school. Um, When they get to school, maybe you get out and hang outside the car for a few minutes if you can park in a little lot, but they got to get sunlight. If not, we are in a totally jacked up situation. We were not meant for this to be indoors all day long. Yeah. And so that's what we do with our kids. You know, our kids have to be at school. I think we're leaving out by seven 30. Um, but as soon as that sun's starting to come up, we're outside trying to get in some sunlight. Is that why those suckers got so much energy? <laughs> As a kid. <laughs> Is it? And I got that, they hadn't changed into that rhythm yet. They, so they, they wire them high like that? They wire them high. Well, they just indoors and they'll still go. If you have a, a sleep issue, that's the number one thing you should start doing. Get 10 to 15 minutes of sun exposure through a window. It's less effective. The thicker the window can be up to 50 times less effective. But that is the absolute best way to get your circadian clock anchored and to help you get to falling asleep at night. It sounds crazy. But this is like the latest scientific literature. Oh, I absolutely. can never say this word, but the Ayurvedic or whatever, the Indian, uh, 
what is that called? Ayurvedic? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, what is I it? Ayurvedic. I don't know. It's it's like the um, the wellness from India, basically. They're hmm. like their thought process on it. They say the same thing that yep. you have to have sun. Like right when the sun's rising, you have to be outside and expose yourself to that. Yeah, you and it it doesn't have to be like the the earlier the lower it is on the horizon, the better. But like, look, if it's before 9 a.m., as long as you're getting bright light exposure, that is the signal to your brain to get everything kicked off. And if you do this for 10 to 14 days, you'll start seeing changes in your sleep patterns. So I I, I mention that to people sometimes. I'm like, hey, if you're wanting to break a habit, if you want to change yourself or go into the gym or do anything, it's, it's mm. 12 to 14 days. And at the 11 to 12 day mark, you're going to be at your worst. You're going to be at your weakest. You're going to, your, your discipline's going to be near and void. Not, mm. If you hold on for those next few days, which imagine you're not working on your, you're working on your discipline, nothing else, just your discipline. And then somebody will come up and be like, hey, man, you've been working out. You've been, and as soon as someone acknowledges it, then, then it's locked. Then you know. Mm. But it's your body's way of saying, like, hey, we don't do this for a living. We do this. And, yeah. and most vacations are two weeks. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and this thing roll, I mean, it, guys who go into the gym, they work out real hard for two weeks for spring break and they get real big. That's because that's a two week bump. If you slow it and gradual it. And over time, you the routine, you can teach this thing with, with music. Like the certain, the music I listened to when I was in, I don't listen to it now. If I, if I hear one of those songs, I'll, I'll revert straight back to that lifestyle. It's like you switch everything. It's um, acoustic training. I mean, I was talking to one of the coaches for the football players. But like, before you guys go out, do y'all play a, 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 like a certain number of songs, the same songs over and over again to get in their head, to like change them? Because that's how we do that in the military. You, you, gradually, you can change them, but you do it. There's a way to train this thing into anything. Mm-hmm. And my question was, is, is I noticed in my sleep kind of, there's certain times of the year I sleep a little bit longer and certain times I don't. And that's what she was getting on to me about earlier. She's like, you hadn't been sleeping. I was like, man, this time of year, I, I just get up at three o'clock. I can't help it. I mean, I said, pure energy, ready to go. It's like a werewolf. I am done. I'm supposed to tell them, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a feeling, Marcus, like a, a lot of guys in your community, there's, there's a lot of training and things that have happened over the years. And then some people, it's trauma and different things that were like, it, it forces them to get up. There are going to be seasonal changes, especially, I wish we could get rid of daylight savings time. It's a, it's a, it, it messes people up. Cause it's not just one hour, but it's a big change. But some people wake up at four 30 or five o'clock in the morning and they're ready to go. Some people don't though. Like they don't want to get up. And what's happening is they're running out of melatonin. Um, I don't suggest for people to take melatonin unless it's an absolute necessity. They should anchor their circadian clock first, and then they need to change their relationship with light and dark. So as if light is an alerting signal, meaning if the sun is telling you, hey, it's time to get up, it's also an alerting signal at night. And so if you want to be able to transition to sleep effectively, you should start turning the lights down around your house, especially overhead lights. These cells that are in your eyes, they actually, they're look, they're capturing light from above. So they can't tell the difference between an overhead light and the sun. And so in your house, if you want to be able to start making that transition, turn off the overhead lights, start dimming the lights down. If on your phone, like turn that thing down as dim as you can possibly get it. 
when the sun starts going down and you'll start to see that you'll start slowly transitioning. Oh, so time the lights with but, the sun, right? Time everything huh? with the sun, start dimming it down. It makes sense because that's yeah, what we do with the kids. Mirror what the earth's doing. Like dim the lights in the, in the living room at the end of the day after dinner so they go to bed. As soon as it's dark, go. I'm ready to go to bed. Yeah. It doesn't matter what time it is. If it's dark but outside. we're up with the sun too. I, my body just starts to shut down. Like I physically just want to lay down. And as soon as I hit my head on the pillow, I'm asleep. Yeah, bro. We were coming back from the game the other day. We were joking. It was 10, 11 o'clock. I was like, normally this is when back in the day we'd have been going out. Yeah, not me. I was like, you know, I'm always going out. You know, like, you know how exhausted <laughs> I am right now? <laughs> it's, it's true. If you do wake up and you do get your rhythm going with the sun, when it does go uh-huh. down, so will you. Yeah, I'm, I'm in bed. You're out of the country, night. right? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, if you there's some actually research studies that show like if you want to reset yourself, go camping. Sure. Yeah. Like go camp for a week. There was actually some studies where they take college students out that were having a hard time get you get synchronized with the sun, your body starts getting you will start sleeping like a baby. This is the base. Yeah, you resync with the base. When people come no stay question. out here cuz we are we're in the woods. Um every time they say they sleep the best sleep they've had in years. And I really feel mm. like it's the atmosphere yeah. around We them. actually lead with that now. It's like, man, you're going to sleep great. Yeah, we're gonna, you're going to have a great night's sleep. <laughs> One thing's going to happen. You're going to sleep great out here. Um, I love it. Tell us about the AIM-7. Yeah. So um, real quickly, you know, I talked about how we had wearables with athletes and one of the things that we came across, one of the problems was we had all this data. We had no idea what to do with it. And it took us about a year to figure out how to use that to change performance. And so in 2019, I started looking at the consumer market and like, hey, we got all these Fitbits and Apple Watches and stuff. I wonder if they have the same problem the consumers do. Like, so what if I sleep seven hours or walk 8,000 steps? Like, what does this mean for my health? Like, how do I feel better? And um, did a lot of market research and found, yes, that was like the number one complaint by wearable tech users. Their data is useless. So I'm like, hey, I got a skill set for that. So I started a company called AIM7. And what we're doing is, is we're turning those your data from wearables like Apple Watch, Oring, Whoop, and stuff into personalized habits to improve things like your energy, your sleep, your stress. And one of the cool things that we're doing is um, we've realized there's a big gap in the market between wearables and like exercise content. And so like if you have a Peloton or Apple Fitness Plus or you train in the gym, problem that people have is they just go as hard as they can every single day and end up burning out pretty quick. And when I was at Kentucky, we did some research, me and Dr. Chris Morris, and we found that this was with college football players, that you need to have a plan. Like if you don't have a plan, you're going to fail, right? But like just because it's written down that day doesn't mean your body's going to adapt to it. So we were able to do is we were like, okay, we're going to adjust people's plans based off of their biometric data. And they had like over eight weeks, like 150 to 500% more improvement than the guys training right next to them. So we built this into the app called AIM7. So like people can come in like, all right, I'm going to do my Peloton today. And then it'll tell you exactly how long and how hard to go. Some days it's going to be harder than you plan. Some days it's shorter. And then after 30 days, we give you this thing called a limiting factors report where we assess all your data. And I'm like, ah, this is the number one thing holding you back from being more adaptable. And then we unlock content and teach you how to do it. And I brought literally brought like the best in the world and do this. Um, and so we're trying to bring like high performance resources to anybody with a wearable device. Yeah. So you've become the responder. That's, that's, yeah. br- that's brilliant. So you had the transmitter, the receiver. And when, it's, when someone tells you data is useless, that's the, 
That's like an oxymoron. It's like, what are you talking about? Oh, well, that's, that's, just wait one second. Oh, we just got to figure out how to plug it back in. You just reverse it, right? And, and, and now that, that, that's brilliant because when you think about it, people will go into the gym and, and say, how do you work out? It's like, get on that bench, lift that weight. I'm like, well, what are you, what are you trying <laughs> to do, man? You know, not, and first of all, <laughs> what, what are you? What kind of, what's your yeah. body style? What, what, do you, what are you really? Like what's mm-hmm. inside of you, what that spirit that makes you up? Because that actually, everyone's different. Not one of us are down here are the same. I mean, we got our own classes and cl- I mean, yeah, that's real, but everyone everyone's kind of different. And You're exactly that, right. Different people respond data, differently to the same thing. 100%. There are things down here that eat meat and things that don't, things that can eat both. I mean, there's yeah. people that have bones that break when the wind blows and people whose bones they do not break. So, I mean, I, people get sick, people who don't. You just don't hear about them. So, Good it's question. It's, Blue zones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is your technology nope. like out? Yeah. So we, uh, we're actually in beta right now. People can sign up on our website um, and we're bringing in. Yeah. We're, we're taking in this data. So like we're, we're an early stage company. So we just today we're bringing in 125 people. December 1st, we're bringing 150 and we're just expanding slowly. So we have a, a pretty good waiting list, but um, if people are listening to this and they sign up and they put like, I heard on the team never quit podcast, we'll put you right to the top of the list. But um, I want to yeah, sign up. We're out. Is it just for like Not for only did athletes, hear it on or the can agenda. it be no, no? Anybody? It's uh, for I, I literally it's for household CEOs. Yeah, like my wife or my you know or or busy mid career professionals, people that don't have time, and they're like, hey, just tell me what to do to feel better. Man, them the same so thing. Like, those that's the same thing in our generation. Like we're different. Like those CEOs that run those companies, the same thing as a Navy SEAL. In mine, the way that works, it's just that's their field. So the stress yeah. they have, and I, I only learned this because they, when they put me back in and plugged me back into them, yeah. I'd sit there and listen to them, not, not at work, but afterwards, like what they would talk yeah. about and how they were like, man, y'all are just like us. So the, no question when, when they go into the gym they, and, and they try to work out like us, I mean, you, mm-hmm. you'd see it now with a tough mother and they beat themselves to death. Yeah, they'll do Iron Man Iron and Man, all these mud, Just get beat in the face, throw on a $3,000 suit and go sit behind a desk for a couple hours. <laughs> So who's the real I'm also lawyer? talking about household CEOs though, like yeah. like like my wife, you that, know. Yeah. Man, like, who the toughest there is? Yeah. No question. <laughs> she got a couple kids. Man, she's dude. doing a lot of work. What's she up? just wants my wife just wants to feel better. Right. That's who we built this for. I'm well, bless same. you for that, man. Yeah, I need that. I, how do I sign up? I anything to make their up. life easier? I, I'm all about that. Like because yeah. the minute I even think about complaining, she'll stop doing one thing and I'll be like, man, my life's falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's going out of town here for a church retreat in two weekends, and I'm already making or this weekend I'm making a list. Of like, all right, where's this? Yeah. Where's this? Where's sure this? I'm going to be okay? You know, I, goes. Yeah, right. <laughs> My gosh, I went on a church retreat in July, and it was for three nights. I died. I almost died on one of them. I and they, kill myself. they take they took my phone. I wasn't allowed. And Marcus had like he uh, an event going on, and normally I text him like I tell him exactly what he's going to be doing. I mean, almost minute by minute, what his plan is. I always prep him. And before I left, I was like, you know, I can't prep you. Are you going to be okay? <laughs> I couldn't. It was killing me to know if he did okay or not. Because- people are like, hey, man, you can't live without your wife. She tells you everything you do. I was like, well, think about how I've been trained. I've been yeah. trained to tell what to do. So, yeah, I can't live without her. I'm but like, man, are you sure you got written out? I don't know. <laughs> I've been conditioned to be, like, my stress level is making sure everything went okay. And yeah. that it's that it's all goes smooth. I know that that's not a job, but that I feel like that is 
no, it my is responsibility. A job. But um, yeah. when I was on my church retreat and I didn't have a phone, I was asking the retreat leaders, I'm like, can you just text him and make sure he's okay? <laughs> and they're like, you need to stop worrying and just focus on yourself right now. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> Well, with, without women like you, we would we wouldn't be around. I'll tell you what, our kids would be in bad shape. So thankful for for the work you do. You know, I mean, it's important. Thank yeah. you. I mean, she's like that for a reason, though. I mean, every time she go out of town, one time I worked so hard, I had a heat stroke. Yeah, almost died. That time he always was, falls apart when it yeah. leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely want this though. So they go on your website and sign up right yeah, now? Yeah, aim7.com, AIM7.com. You can just sign up and I'll send you an email later okay. uh, with a little link. But yeah, just sign up and we'll, we'll get you in um, here in December or January. But we're really excited to, to bring this type of stuff that we've talked about today to anybody with a wearable device who just wants to feel better, you know, sleep better, have more energy, be a better parent. Awesome. And what about social media? Are you on? Any socials? Yeah. So Eric Corum on Instagram. And then I have a podcast called The Blueprint. And uh, we distill cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills. And they're That's very yours? tactical things for people. Yeah. I watch that all the time. Really? I do. I didn't know that was yours. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'd I learned a lot on, from Marcus. that. It's really well done. Thank you. I You're really welcome. Appreciate that. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to throw I explode like that. But I was like, really, man? Because I learned so much from that. Yeah, That's blueprint. Awesome. Well done. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'd love yeah. to have you on sometime. We should do it. All right. I was, I was like, yeah. man, I don't know if I'll be good enough to get on that. But okay, all right. I've been around long <laughs> enough. <laughs> I'm sure. Hey, listen, we have some great discussions about all sorts of stuff. But you do. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, it's great. Thank you very much. So blueprints, uh, you have Instagram is Eric Corum. And uh-huh. if you want the AIM 7, just go to the website. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. I'm super interested. Yeah, I'm sorry. We'll end this. I got a question afterwards then. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, When's the last time you've been to an A&M game? Oh, brother. Um, Congratulations the other day went out against Alabama. I'll tell you what, that that was phenomenal. It's pretty cool seeing Jimbo there now, having worked for him, and then some of those coaches that I coached with. It's it's great, man. I mean, I went to a game – when I was working for the Texans, I think it was back in 2018, an LSU game at uh, home. Yeah, come yeah. on, I'm a Tiger, so yeah, I'm married into a Tiger family. <laughs> yeah, and then all the rest of UT fans. Well, yeah, we lost that Texans. game. Oh, uh, I was going to say different the year outcome that, this year. Yeah, yeah, A M beat the Tigers on a Thanksgiving uh, home game to A&M one year. I thought, was that 2019 maybe? Man, I, dude, oh, uh, seven overtimes or whatever it was. Yes. Oh, that killed me. That, that COVID year threw me off, that, that zero year. And um, oh. our oldest son just graduated from LSU. And so he was at LSU during when that happened and all his classmates were at A&M. So he went to the game with them. And of course they were just loving it, but... So have some wild stuff. Jimbo, yeah. he, he's doing well over there. Yeah, right? he's doing Once a great he got job. that the way he wanted it, you, you know it'll be it'll be done well over there. It's a special place. Yeah. Um he, he's gonna do a great job. I'm really I'm really proud that they've got him and and you know it's they they've been you know it's been twenty something years since they won a championship. It's about time. Yeah, you know, nineteen ninety eight was last conference championship. It's hard to believe that. That is a long time. Wow. I don't say it out loud like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you're like, say it out loud like, like that. Dan Campbell and those guys are head coaches in the NFL. Right? It's yeah, been a yeah, while. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's right. 
Well, thank you again yeah, bro. so much Thanks, for coming man. on. And Bless you, bro. In, you're in the Houston area, Thanks for area, having right? me on. This is a pleasure. It's awesome. Yeah, where, where are you living now? What area? Houston, uh, Missouri City. So we're okay, in Magnolia. Yeah. We're just a little north of Houston. Is that like the north of the woodlands? Go, or, uh, go west. west. West of the woodlands. As soon as oh. you hit the woodlands, go west. Yeah, towards Oh, you guys are in the woods woods. We're yeah, in the yeah. woods. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like, gorgeous area. Deep woods. Yeah. We're, we're rural. <laughs> <laughs> Like we live on yeah, a Houston, farm, bro. Houston like is the cows. most beautiful city, yeah. but the areas around it are pretty nice. Yeah. Well, let's get yeah. together sometime. I'd love to meet your wife. Yep. Love it anytime. Where Thank are you, you so much for having me on. Where's the tournament at? The world the tournament. Oh yeah, Vegas. So that's um, what I thought. So you are going out to Vegas for that? We're going to Vegas. My wife's a two stripe purple belt. Um, she was like a she was an all American softball player at Mississippi State. And she's the stud at the athlete of the family. And um, my, we got my oldest son, Brian Cushing, our coach. I was like, hey, Brian, like, what's a good martial arts? Like, you know, he's like, dude, jujitsu would be great for your kids. So my oldest son is nine. He got in. And like after a couple months, I could tell my wife was like watching. And she's looking. I was like, you want to do this, don't you? She's like, I got to do this. And so she was in. And I had an old neck injury I was still dealing with. And once it got resolved, we moved to Virginia. And then I got in. My, my other two kids have grown up on the mats. Like literally my five-year-old, the professor used to walk around with him on the mats. My wife trained. So he's now in, it's a great sport. Oh. Yeah. Phenomenal. Everything Marcus changed when our generation in came in. Like we were the tradition raised up with Schwarzenegger Stallone. Like look at the guys who raised yeah. us. If you Taekwondo, right? Yeah. So yeah, they kind of blistered into jujitsu and morphed into what we are today. So take the SEALs and the military and S7 and then X-Men and all that Marvel characters, UFC, and throw that in. And that's what our kids are. Mm-hmm. Mm. Look at the mentality they're walking around with. Because look what happened to us. Yeah. We were built differently than if you look at like the, all the warriors that came ahead of us, the way they look when they come out, they're all thin. Look at our G.I. Joe figures and look at mm-hmm. theirs, right? I mean, if compared to comparatively man it's, it's just been it's a different thing altogether so i mm. once we got kids on the ground i started watching because i started training them mm-hmm. i mean let me tell he you trains like mr miyagi style though he i do it old school yeah run barefoot through the woods and in the dark and <laughs> do you do um do you do jujitsu yes sir my whole life everything he grew up doing okay. traditional doing karate yeah. and then changed into jujitsu as he got older yeah we do both and then in the teens we were uh it, it was huge. The MMA yeah. coaches and fighters would come in and train us at the team. It was a blessing to be in the teams, man, because we had access. Were to you on that. East Coast or West Coast? I was a Westie. Um, West Coast. Okay. <laughs> 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 I was the only one. My brother and everybody, they were, they were all East Coast, but no, I was a West Coast boy. People always ask me, like, hey, man, did you make it to SEAL Team 6? I was like, no, nah, I only made it to 5. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're actually work. making this a... Uh, uh, we're actually doing a fundraiser for We Defy. You ever heard of We Defy? Uh-uh. We Defy Foundation. You should check it out. Uh, Brian Marvin helped start it. Former, he he was he was like a recruiter for us. I don't know his whole story, but anyways, it's they provide Brazilian jiu-jitsu resources for combat veterans. And so my wife and I were like, hey, if we're gonna go do something hard, we're gonna go like try to raise some money for this. So that was kind of like one of those. It's, e- it's easy to fight for something when you got somebody behind you. Oh, sure, man. And so you should check out We Defy. I think you'd uh, find it a good um, a good thing, especially if you're into jiu-jitsu. They're doing some good stuff in the vet community. We'll look at that. Yeah. yeah. That, when that took off, uh, 
I'm amazed at how far it's gone, but I'm, it's also a blessing too. I think having that skill set, people think, oh, you know, I don't like to get mm. from jujitsu. I mean, that's that teaches you how to get out of any contraption in life. If something falls on you, get out of it. It's knowing your body and how it moves and no bends. Question. And I, I uh, I'm a big advocate of that. But all right, brother. God bless you, man. We'll hey, see you. Take thank care. you. Take care. All right, Eric. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Team Never Quit Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Team Never Quit Podcast. We're up to 90,000 subscribers. Looking to hit 100,000. You guys can help us do that. Make sure you follow us on social media at Team Never Quit. Or you can go to teamneverquit.com slash social to follow me, Marcus, Morgan, and Melanie. Every week we drop new episodes on Wednesdays. Make sure you subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. We will see you guys next week. <laughs>